loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, my guest is Julie Puttaker. Author and mindfulness expert Julie Potaker is an attorney who began her serious study and investigation of mindfulness after graduating from the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program at the University of California, San Diego. She was trained by Kristen Neff, Christopher Germer, and UCSD as a mindful self-compassion teacher. We'll be talking more about all of this in a minute. She went on to study with Rick Hansen, becoming a graduate of his positive neuroplasticity training professional course. She's also completed Brene Brown's Living Brave sem- semester. Now she shares these and other mindfulness techniques with the world through her Mindful Methods for Life trainings and her new book, Life Falls Apart, But You Don't Have to, Mindful Methods for Staying Calm in the Midst of Chaos. She holds a BGS from the University of Michigan and a JD from George Washington University, and you can find her at mindfulmethodsforlife.com. Welcome, Julie. Good to be here. Good to have you. Uh, I, you know... Reading your book reminded me of so many other teachings that I've encountered, and it was it was both uh, fresh because every every angle on mindfulness is different because we're all different, but also just reminded me so deeply of some of my teachers. So thank you for that as well as for your book. Oh, and I'm so happy to find out about you. I'm going to follow you and read your blog and listen to your show. I just, I'm completely impressed. You have oh, a fan here. Wonderful, absolutely great. We can we can co-fan. Yep. <laughs> One thing that stood out about your book is that um, many of the experiences that you had that led you towards mindfulness, because most people don't. Maybe a few more these days will say, oh, mindfulness, interesting idea. But most of us came to it through pain, through yeah. desperation even. Yeah. yeah. And um, I was, what stood out in your book was that parenting was one such desperate, um, uh, desperate call to action, I guess, which of yep. course parenting is wonderful and it has such stressful aspects. I wonder if you could just share the story of how you were first introduced to uh, mindfulness, which I'm I'm taking as a general category of kind of medic meditations and um, ways of coping with stress and kind of being present. If as sure, it were, sure, absolutely. I was introduced to it by a neurologist who did brain scans and then did a psychosocial sort of verbal interrogation of me. (laughs) Interrogation, woo! (laughs) (laughs) To find out what was really going on in my life. Why were the wrong words coming out of my mouth? If my brain scans, thank goodness, were clear, which they were, what was happening that I was such a nervous wreck? 
what was going on in my body and my mind. And I explained to him that I had three teenagers who all had ADHD, so doing schoolwork wasn't easy. And their behavior, um, you know, in terms of regulating their emotions wasn't always easy. And I have identical twin daughters, so that's like two girls going through puberty at one time, which is... (laughs) I mean, I could make a lot of jokes, but it's really not funny. <laughs> uh, no, I, I've, I've, done the, I've done the menopause and adolescence at the same time, so that's probably comparable. <laughs> exactly. And it put aging parents and being the only kid with boots on the ground in the same city in that same snapshot, okay? Uh-huh. So I was just a basket case, and he said, you need mindfulness-based stress reduction, MBSR, have you ever heard of it? And I said, no. And he said, have you ever heard of John Kabat-Zinn? And I said, no. And he said, this is what you need, and this is going to help you. And now I have a video of John Kabat-Zinn on my own website. I mean, John Kabat-Zinn's like, he's like a household name to me now. Um, But back then, I was completely clueless. I took MBSR at UCSD Center for Mindfulness because I live in San Diego, and UCSD is right here. And that opened up a whole world to me, and I ended up taking more and more and more classes, and eventually Mindful Self-Compassion was created. And it was really like MBSR kind of on steroids. It warms up MBSR. It has you treating yourself like you would treat a dear friend. It connects you to common humanity. it's gorgeous, this curriculum. And then they did a teacher training, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And then I started teaching it, and that was in 2014. So that's, well, my, that's my story it, in a nutshell. And I think that, that that's um, not an uncommon story. Just to fill in the blanks for people who maybe haven't heard of John Kabat-Zinn, um, he brought mindfulness to hospitals in, in a quite profound way. Uh, I was exposed to him way, way back when I was, um, when my wife was still alive. And he, he somehow managed to inroad into uh, medical environments, which isn't easy with things that are more, um, I guess, psychologically based, or although, of course, as, as you're aware, uh, there is so much more research about what that does for people. It's right. becoming a little easier to to um, integrate those practices. Uh, well, Cheryl, but, it's been 40 years. Can you believe that? He incredible. invented MBSR in 1979. It's now 2019. Amazing. Yeah, that's, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, and he did it for patients in the pain clinic at University of Massachusetts which was um, actually in Worcester, Mass. So because it's 40 years old, it's been studied up, down, and sideways. And now it's like this completely validated, evidence-based method for pain as well as a myriad of other difficulties that people have in their life. One thing that, that I appreciated in your book was that you you didn't uh, come from the vantage point that uh, sometimes people do. If you if you just practice mindfulness, you'll never have difficult feelings, mm. which puts people in a terrible bind. 
Um, I I sort of felt that that uh, the statement in your book was, if you do mindfulness practice, you'll manage difficult feelings better. Was that a right. fair assessment? That's a fair assessment, and I think that um, difficult emotions come up on and off throughout the day for all of us human beings because um, life's not easy, even for people that look like they have it all on paper or on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. They're having struggles just by virtue of being on this planet in relationship with themselves and other people. And so it's teaching you how to manage those difficult emotions through a wide range of techniques some of them from the mindfulness world, some of them from mindful self-compassion or dialectical behavioral therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy or um, taking in positive mental states like Rick Hansen teaches in his positive neuroplasticity training. So there's all these ways that you can ground yourself and help yourself when it feels bad. And that sort of leads to another thing, which is I... Uh, I felt as if I was, I was. I hope you won't take this the wrong way, but almost reading an, um, uh, a menu book, you know, a, uh, uh, many things, and the the bottom line message be, being, go for the one that feels right for you. Exactly, because it's not always going to be the same thing that works for each situation. You know, not or or each person. Of- Yeah, not every situation of suffering, even in the same person, is the same. You know, like your heartbreak over the loss of a beloved is different than you smashed your car or somebody hurt your feelings or, you know, you have to have surgery. Those are all different types of suffering. And so these techniques... um, one of them isn't necessarily going to be the cure-all for all those different scenarios. You know, I feel it's a little important to refer to something you talked about in the book that predates your exposure to all these practices, which was almost dying. Mm -hmm. Um, And in a way, um, these experiences, when, when I trace my development back, uh, even though the loss of my wife was was the event in my life that really transformed me, I can see that other events in my life, other things I lived through and dealt with, prepared me in a way. I was in a certain place at that point in my life that I might not have been without those experiences. How do you imagine that experience of almost dying in the process of giving birth to your two younger kids, the twins, Mm -hmm. how does that intersect with you later um, becoming so immersed in in mindfulness? No one's ever asked me that, Cheryl. That's a really deep question. I I think that the one possible answer is that it, showed me something bigger mm. on a on a nonverbal level. It showed me something more universal that I was plugged into there for a little while. 
Mm-hmm. I don't want to sound new age or woo-woo. I'm an attorney. You know, I'm not like a crystal <laughs> chanting person. However, spirituality is really hard to explain. Yes. And science has sort of been trying in the past 10 years to to explain spirituality. And in some ways it's done it. But when I'm at a retreat, uh, especially a silent retreat, after three, four, five, six days, I have sometimes found that same feeling, that same kind of plugging into human connectedness and human consciousness. Do you know what I'm saying? I absolutely do. The other thing I was imagining as I was reading that was that, um, and this might be projection, you know, I feel I'm so much braver because I faced things in losing my wife that um, uh, that taught me I could live through things, if, mm-hmm. if you will. So mm-hmm. I imagined that even though you, it, you didn't necessarily process that event, you had in some way faced the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. And because it sounds to me like you just jumped in with both feet when you're when the neurologist suggested that, which is, as a therapist, I'll say relatively uncommon. Hmm. People get exposed to something and they have to resist it for a while, and you know, <laughs> uh, most people don't just don't just you know okay. I'll do it, whatever. <laughs> That's more unusual. So I don't know. I kind of made that connection, but uh, I'll leave you. I'll leave you that to reflect on. Well, um, I, I'll take that because it makes me feel good. I mean, that's almost like a compliment. Like, you know, you you really wanted to help yourself, so you took fifteen courses. Good on you. You know what I mean. Yeah, and you had the courage because it is, uh, it's so safe in our interiors, I believe, but I don't, I don't think we're taught to believe it is, mm-hmm. that what we're experiencing in ta- inside is actually safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think it's threatening. <laughs> so whatever helped you to, to have the courage to not, uh, not worry too much about that stands out to me. I think because one of my core values is lifelong learning, I was fascinated by the brain science, by all the neuroscience, and I just kept taking class after class after class, and I was happy doing it because when you're living in accordance with a a core value like that, it makes you feel good. So that probably... Yeah, that... I can imagine that helped too. You know, I think we're at, I'd love to have people hear a little bit from the book. And sure. um, I'm, I'm at the point we're kind of moving towards talking about the various techniques that you learned that you share. Could you, mm-hmm. could you share Stephanie's story before we go to break? And then we'll talk about, uh, about it a little more after. Sure. Stephanie, putting it all together. Stephanie came to me upset. Her son had gotten kicked out of high school for the second time for drinking at a school dance. She was anxious with worry, fear, and shame. After I made sure she had a good relationship with a therapist, I took her on as a client to teach her mindfulness meditation and compassion practice. The receiving-sending meditation that worked 
so well for me, Mary and Bill resonated with her. Twice a week for four weeks, we met and practiced it. She visualized breathing in the pain of all the moms in the world who were upset or disappointed in their kids. She breathed in all the pain, breathed it into a vast space inside of herself, and breathed out light and love into a vast ocean. She visualized the pain as dark, thick smoke when she breathed it in, and then light and peace when she breathed it out. The sense of spaciousness was very healing for Stephanie. She also told me that she felt less alone and lighter after we practiced the receiving-sending meditation together. She felt connected to all the other moms in the world whose pain was now mingling with her own. And that sense of loving, connected presence is a wonderful buffer to the isolation that was leading her to depression. Stephanie chose a here-and-now stone from my bag of stones and kept it with her at all times. Whenever her thoughts started to spiral downward, she grabbed her stone and zoomed in on the color and texture of her stone. She kept it in her pocket during the day and on her nightstand at night. It worked for her because she could focus her attention on the stone. When her attention was on the stone, she wasn't dwelling on the troubles with her son. At our first session, I suggested that Stephanie make a list of all the things that give her joy. Then twice a week when she came in for her session, we went over the list and she shared what she had managed to do each day that made her day a little better. Some of her items were easy to do, like taking a bath with lavender bath salts. She started a nightly bath ritual and even added candles and her favorite music. She also made sure she made it to yoga class at least twice a week and that she took a walk at least twice a week. Her favorite walking spot is a state park in San Diego called Torrey Pine State Reserve. She feels like she's connected to something bigger when she's standing high up on the cliffs looking out at the ocean, and the ocean is the visual that she uses during the receiving sending meditation when she imagines breathing out into the vastness of the sea. Stephanie's doing really well. She's happy and healthy and continues with her therapy. She wishes things were going more smoothly with her son, but she's dealing with the fact that things don't always go the way we wish them to be, and she's okay with that reality. One day I told her that the Buddha said we make our own hell by wishing things were different than they are. She said, I'm over that. What will be, will be. That's what the a, end of the what a great story. way to feel in tough times, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you, you said somewhere in the book, uh, you quoted that, that um, people, uh, people will say you can only be as happy as your most miserable child. Oh, and that you don't, happy and child, that you yeah. don't agree with that, and me neither. Oh my gosh, that would that would be tough. <laughs> Thank goodness we can do something. Let's let's take a break and then come back and talk about because there's two or three different uh, mm-hmm. uh, cool. practices mm-hmm. that people can use in that piece of writing. So we'll come back and talk about that in a minute. Awesome, and listeners. Thanks. Listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief Pages at Voice America. And to find Julie Potterker, you can go to mindfulmethodsforlife.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
Have you stopped to think seriously about hypnosis? Hypnosis can set you on your way to better health, can free you from anxiety, phobias, and so much more. Join host Inez Simpson for Hypnosis Everywhere, Inez Simpson and the Simpson Protocol. This show is for anyone from the experienced hypnotist practitioner to the merely curious. Inez Simpson offers tools and insights from the whole world of hypnosis with guests and open discussions. Hypnosis Everywhere, the Simpson Protocol, airs live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Julie Potterker, author of Life Falls Apart, But You Don't Have To. And before the break, Julie, you read that uh, piece from your book about Stephanie, and I noticed at least three discrete uh, techniques that you that you cultivated with her, all of which worked in their various ways. So... Let's start with the give the sending receiving, uh, which I rec- recognize from studying Tonglen practice. That's that's uh, is that Thai Buddhist? I'm uh, or Tibetan? I'm forgetting at the moment. Tonglen. Um, let's see, Tibetan. So Pima Tibetan. Chodron. Yeah, she has an entire book just entitled Tonglen. And Tara Brock, who's one of my favorite teachers, leads a gorgeous Tonglen meditation. When I wrote my book and I had an editor, the editor took out Tonglen and said, it's just too weird, call it what it is in English, which is why I called it the sending, receiving, or receiving, sending, because that's what it means in English. Because Uh she thought people would just think Tonglen was like I was talking 
weirdo stuff, but really, it is Tonglen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and the other thing is, isn't that a funny thing about our culture that this practice that's been working for people for thousands of years thousands is considered years. some something yeah. unusual or strange? But anyway, yeah. you, you did uh, use both names, which I appreciated. Uh, maybe you can describe a little more. Uh, how you understand that sure, that sure. practice and how people can use it. Sure. So it, first of all, I just have to say it's counterintuitive. Um, people think, oh, I don't want to breathe in something bad. Don't tell me to breathe in something bad. But it works. And I think that the reason that it works and how um, other people have, have determined that it works is because you're not wallowing in whatever the suffering is. You're labeling it, first of all, which gives a little room of, around it. So it's like, because you have to know what it is, right? So you're not really swamped by it. Like, oh, this is sadness, or this is grief, or this is heartbreak, or this is worry, or this is fear, or this is anxiety. And then you connect to the billions of other people on the planet that are suffering the same thing at the same time. And knowing that you're not alone in this, because you're not, helps, helps the feelings of isolation that could lead somebody into a downward spiral of depression. So all of those things are going on with Tang Glenn. And then you're thinking about all the other moms, in, in her case, whose kids had gotten kicked out of school or whose kids were in jail or whose kids were... God knows what horrible things the mom didn't want them to be doing at the time we're doing and got caught and got found out and all the shame and worry. And you're connecting yourself with all of them and breathing it in. And then you're really morphing it. So you're doing something about it. You're, you're morphing it into light and love and peace and ease. And you had shared with me before we went on that when you were suffering, um, in the early stages after your wife passed away that you were doing this and it totally helped you. Yes, and it helped been- then. And it, and it also, I used to practice it on her because sometimes you can practice it not so universally, but more specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would use it as a way of reducing her physical suffering. Uh, I think it was uh, living, living into dying, or some book I read way back then um, mm-hmm. that that was written by a Tibetan monk and uh, described um, absorbing the suffering in a person's body and then and then uh, letting it out, and that also worked quite dramatically. Um, much I, better I think than it's just because you're. You're doing something, Cheryl. You know what I mean? It's like when we make a decision to do something, it makes us feel better. Right. So you're not just drowning. You're actually taking a positive action to make yourself feel better. I, I do want to mention, though, that it doesn't always work. I think uh-huh. it's good to try it, but it doesn't always work. And don't feel bad if it, didn't, if it doesn't work. Um, the Saturday before last, in San Diego, there was a shooting at the synagogue in Poway. Yes. And that's where I live. I don't live in Poway, but I live near there. And the woman that was murdered is a friend of mine. And so 
not mm. a dear, dear friend, but a very warm, you know, I've known her for 20 years. We've, we've been at a ton of life cycle events because we share a very close friend. So when I heard that that, that happened, I, I started freaking out inside. So I, I labeled what was going on. I put my hand on my heart to do soothing touch to downregulate my own self, which is another technique, um, soothing touch, which is great, which taps into your mammalian caregiver response, and it releases oxytocin and endorphins. So I did that, and then I tried Tong Glenn, and it didn't work. So So I reversed it, and I breathed in peace and ease and love and safety, and I breathed out hate and evil. And that calmed me down. I can imagine that. And I can also imagine that there is a, I guess that as a grief counselor, I do believe that having the feelings full on at certain moments in grief is actually really important. Mm -hmm. Not to the point where we, you know, become psychotic or I suppose mm-hmm. but but it does help us register that we've suffered a blow right and I think and so you're, yeah I, think I can imagine right I think that you're right like you shouldn't resist it what what we resist persists what we can feel we can right feel. right but at, but at the same time you want to be able to function sure you know? so there's like uh, a, a if you have to if you have to is what I would say some moments of non-function I'm okay with, but um, I think I think what you're talking about is there are ways to bring yourself back into alignment once it's possible, mm-hmm. once once you're um, uh, past certain moments. Certain moments are pretty hard to <laughs> to soothe yourself about. I think so. I wonder if that's the difference in what worked there. Um, it just needed something different. Um, yeah, so the next probably. one you, the next one you're ta- you talked about is this stone that you have people pick a stone that they mm-hmm. they can touch to mm-hmm. kind of, I guess I would say to reground. Would that be how you think of it? It's exactly it. It's like grounding through the soles of your feet or grounding with an object. So. Um, a here and now stone is like people use um, rosary beads or worry beads or malas. It's the same idea. When you're looking at it and you're feeling it and you're wondering about it, you're not worrying and ruminating. So you're breaking the discursive loop of worrying and ruminating. I can I can also uh, having having been exposed to practices that that think there's power in different elements. Mm-hmm. The elements being fire, water, air, and earth. Mm-hmm. Um, earth, which a, a stone is a piece of earth, mm-hmm. that is a grounding energy, also. So you should I, you should talk to my kids. They are so into the whole crystal thing. <laughs> <laughs> my daughters are twenty four now, and one of them, the one that's like more spiritual, the one in the book that is the one that um, allowed me to share her story about needing to go to drug and alcohol rehab. Uh Uh, She's got, she's doing really well now, um, but she's got like eight different bracelets on that are different crystals that have different properties that are all doing something for her. (laughs) Well, I I don't get that. 
I've I've been exposed to that living in the Bay Area. Uh, any any stone works for me. <laughs> But I do think there is something very solid about it that kind of, if you touch a stone, feels they feel solid, yes? Right. So I can imagine that having having an impact. And then the, the last one you talked about in that, um, I was interested in your book that you equated uh, self-care with joy. Mm-hmm. That, that what you do for self-care are things to bring joy. Um and and it seems to me in this uh, in that passage, that's what you were asking her to find things that connected her to her own joy. Is that exactly. a proper reading? That's a proper reading. Um, I took the Awakening Joy class from um, from the Barazes up. They're up by you. Yes, they it, are. I took it online. I think it was like maybe in twenty eleven. I still have their their handouts, and I still use them in my teaching. I mean, they're fantastic. And the, the thing about joy is if you are feeling joy and you notice you're feeling joy and you allow it to land, you're pushing a positive mental state into a neural trait. So you're doing taking in the good experience-dependent neuroplasticity. So you're getting so much bang for your buck. And then if you write it down into your gratitude journal, oh, my God, you're getting triple. <laughs> triple, the, triple the mental health benefits. For sure. I, I interviewed a woman who was a resiliency expert, and then her daughter died. Mm-hmm. So she had a little head start, <laughs> you know, but it was still very calamitous. I think it was a car accident. Mm-hmm. And um, she, what she did was she... Uh, decided that she was going to think of of things that brought her joy at least three times a day. Mm-hmm. And no matter what else was happening, she did that. Mm-hmm. And for her, that got her to the next place. Mm-hmm. That's brilliant, uh, because you can actually choose what you think about. Exactly, you, yeah. I had a client last week when I was trying to explain this, and she said, but... Isn't reminiscing bad? And I said, why would reminiscing be bad? And she said, because Eckhart Tolle says you need to be in the present. And I said, wow. Okay, this is really, <laughs> this is really an important thing to talk about because, no, you, you're in the present with the gorgeous memory that you're having. having. Putting in a gorgeous memory is fantastic for your mental health and well-being. It helps you change the channel when you feel like crap. Maybe we maybe it would be um, apt to call it re-experiencing That's because fabulous. I, I find that just a just a mental picture of something that happened doesn't mm-hmm. do that much for me. Mm-hmm. But if I allow myself to re-experience it and to have the whole body experience that as close as I can to what I had, then it has a huge impact. Yep. So that's that's definitely present tense, isn't it? It's totally <laughs> present tense because you have to recreate the memory in as much specificity as you can. And then you feel it in your body, and then it pushes the mental state to the neural trait. You're right. If you just think about it like, oh, that was a beautiful day, but you don't feel what it really felt like, it's not going to do anything. Or, or at least far less. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so so I guess that would be I I guess what I think he's talking about is not future tripping or past tripping which I could agree with that but sometimes we're really experiencing the past or the future in the present mm-hmm. would you would you agree I don't know that just made my head spin <laughs> <laughs> well you know she's saying oh memory no bad yeah. <laughs> sin <laughs> yeah and and uh, we're we're saying no experiencing things positive things from the past in the present can be powerfully oh, good yes. exactly uh, perfect and i guess i would even say you know sometimes i have memories for instance of my what the period of my wife's illness mm-hmm. the harder parts i i every every day have memories of of what was beautiful and good but but i have memories of the harder parts uh, I re-experience them to a degree, but I can't imagine not. Uh, it it just seems so natural to the fact that I lived through that. It's a part of my cells. Do you find though that as um, well as time goes by, it happens less? Because I I had flashbacks of the the end of my mom's life pretty regularly for the first twelve months after she passed away, and then the the really scary graphic pieces um, got happen less often. I mean, I can still trigger one, um, but they don't just pop up on me anymore. Yeah, I guess what I would say, so for instance, uh, someone's walking ahead of me. I may have said the same thing last week on the show. Someone's walking ahead of me who walks the way she did and the back of their head looks like her. Uh, I may have a flashback to some moment in my life with her. But even if it's painful, I don't consider it bad. And what I find changes over time, just for me, is my perspective. Uh, For instance, I feel mostly grateful. I feel... um, uh, it's a precious thing to call her to mind like that. Mm-hmm. Whether mm-hmm. it's a good or bad moment, the fact that we lived through that together is profoundly meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. And so it's not disturbing, it's meaningful. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It Whereas totally makes sense. You know, when she first died, certain things would come to mind and it would be like an earthquake happened in my body. That doesn't yeah. happen oh, anymore. I hated that. I really hated that with my mom. I just... And I, I, I just, I just feel so bad that my kids are going to have to experience it. And I hope that they're tooled up by the time I pass away, which could be in five minutes, or it could be in ten years, or who knows when it's going to be. Maybe they have all they need is what is what I keep saying to myself in my head, because mm-hmm. uh, you know it's it's a hard thing for sure. I have since since my wife died, lost both my parents, so. It's different because I'd already had that loss, interestingly, but still. Time for another break already. Um, when we come back, we'll, we'll, uh, I, I want to continue talking about the techniques that you find help people and kind of how you, how you think they do, <laughs> how that works. Okay. Awesome. And 
And listeners, while we're while we're on break, you can go to my website, weatheringgrief.com, the Good Grief host page. I also want to just call your attention to the fact that there's a link to my novel on the Good Grief host page and at weatheringgrief.com. Uh, if you like to read about healing and redemption, you might like my book. There's more information there. And to find Julie Podaker, you can go to mindfulmethodsforlife.com. Back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Julie Potaker about her book, Life Falls Apart, But You Don't Have To, and her business, Mindful Methods for Life. Um, so we've, we've now talked about kind of three things you recommend for people, and it sounds as if you want people to do as many as they can manage. Right. Especially and, in a tough time, huh? Right, and we also really 
we really kind of talked about five because the gratitude practice was mentioned and also taking in positive mental states were mentioned in addition to like grounding yourself with a stone, having a joy list, and doing tanglen. Do you want to say any more about any of those? And then I'm going to have you read a little more out of the book. I think we covered them. I could read a little more out of the book, but I also, you know, I also want people to know that they should get outside, that they should meditate 10 to 20 minutes every day with a guided meditation, you know, that they should um, get enough sleep. You know, pe- a lot of this is common sense, but when times are tough, you've got to sort of throw your whole toolbox, your, your whole toolbox at your head, you know? As soon as you're able Without getting in a fight with yourself. Correct. <laughs> but those yeah, things, need... <laughs> that's counter, counterproductive. <laughs> that's correct. You are so right. You have to be kind to yourself. And if that means curling up in a ball for a little while, do that because that, that's nurturing. Curl up in a ball with joy, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Great. so this next, this next story um, is in the chapter of the book that talks about checking your compass, which is... Um, a chapter about core values. In the following story, you'll see how I flipped into a gentle inquiry on what the heck was going on inside my body. With my mindful methods toolbox at the ready, using these techniques helped turn what could have been a nightmare into a peaceful experience, enabling me to stay aligned with my core values. My family are all animal lovers. We usually have four dogs and three cats running around our house with our kids. A few years ago, we lost our 10-year-old Briard to cancer. It was devastating. My husband thought he was doing me a favor by whisking Shadow away without telling the kids or me and having him put to sleep. I know why he thought that, because years before, we had a terrible experience putting our very sick Old English Sheepdog to sleep, and I had flashbacks for months. I still miss Shadow. Actually, I miss every dog that has ever left us. About six months ago, our bulldog Shih Tzu mix, Dusty, needed to be laid to rest. He was 17, pretty much deaf and blind, incontinent, and filled with cancer. It wasn't until the cancer diagnosis that anyone in my family would even consider putting the old guy down. My husband was out of town on business when I made the appointment at the Animal Specialty Hospital to euthanize Dusty. That was the day Dusty could no longer lift his back hips. We were keeping him alive past the point where he could have any joy in his life. My husband called me while I was driving to the animal hospital and asked me to wait for him to get home so we would be there together, but it was emotional and I was resolved. I had the appointment, so I was going. In the waiting room, they took Dusty away to put an IV in his leg and told me they would get me when he was ready. He'd be put in a nice room decorated like a room in a house, not like a room in a hospital. I sat in the waiting room. I felt like throwing up and passing out. I was actually surprised by my reaction because I was convinced I was ready to do this and Dusty was more than ready. What was happening inside my body? Closing my eyes, I dropped down to envision what was going on inside me. That is mindfulness, noticing what is coming up while it is happening. There was a thick cinder block of vibrating constriction in my trunk from my chest to my pelvis. I put my hand over my heart and tried loving-kindness phrases for myself. I still felt the brick, but it was a little less solid. 
Then I tried a meditation to attempt to soften and soothe the area in my body that had the bad feeling and allowed it to be there as I had learned to do. Yet I found I couldn't concentrate on all that instruction. Then I asked myself, what do you really need to hear right now? That did it. That is creating loving-kindness phrases for the situation at hand. Silently, I told myself I was brave, that I was doing the right thing, and doing it for the right reason, love. Then I told myself it was going to be okay. I assured myself he was a good old guy, and now it was time for me to let him go. A veterinary assistant came to get me from the waiting room and ushered me into a very nice room with a sofa and wood furniture. They brought Dusty, wrapped in a blanket, and laid him down next to me on the couch. He had two little IV ports taped onto his left front leg. The doctor explained that the first syringe contained an anesthetic that would make Dusty fall asleep. The second syringe would stop his heart. The first syringe went in and Dusty started snoring almost immediately. Then the second syringe went in and he went still, just like that, still. Looking up at the doctor, I asked, oh my God, that's it? Why can't we do that for humans? It was so peaceful and so painless. And because I didn't have a vibrating brick in my torso anymore, I could be 100% there for Dusty in the moment, petting him as he passed away. My compass was pointed due north and I was calm, sad, but calm. I felt as though I was right on track with my core values of loving kindness, compassion, truth, responsibility, and equanimity. That was the end of that. Mm. I've been in those situations myself. You bring them back. <laughs> These letting go of, of pets. I mean, uh, people too, but I do find there's sort of a, uh, because it's okay to let pets go in that way, it's, it's a different experience from the ones I've had with people. Mm-hmm. Quite different. Um, that touches me. Um, I guess what what stands out there, because, you know, many of us don't take care of ourselves out of an, an external uh, focus. We're there to take care of others. So what stands out to me there was that when you were able to do those practices for yourself, you were better able to be there for Dusty. Put on your oxygen mask first. Yes, tripe but true, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's absolutely true. If you're, if you're really a mess inside, you can't really show up as your best self for anybody. For sure. So I wanted to. Uh, I know that there's an event coming up that you're pretty involved with, and I wanted us to talk about that really briefly. World Meditation Day. Of course, many people listen to this show uh, on demand, so they may not hear it before the 2019 date, which is May 15th, Uh, but I'm assuming it's something that happens every year. Is that correct? Um, I believe it is. I mean, I'm not, I pay attention to it, um, just like I pay attention to telling people to meditate every single day. (laughs) Anything that shines a light on the health benefits of meditation, 
which are your blood pressure is going to go down, your heart rate's going to go down, anxiety and depression go down, mental health and well-being go up, your respiration goes down, your metabolism goes down. I mean, the list is, it's like as long as both of my arms on why you should do this, right? And all the different types of meditation. Um, So anything that shines a light on that I think is really fantastic. And people should just start by downloading Insight Timer, I-N-S-I-G-H-T, Timer, popping in their earbuds, picking the amount of time they want to donate to their mental health and well-being, and do it. I've also found that there are certain things, maybe this comes easier with more practice, but there are certain things I can do that that uh, actually make a very substantial uh, change in a moment without anyone knowing I'm doing it. For instance, softening my belly, mm. uh, feeling the breath in my nostrils. That took me a lot of practice, actually. <laughs> to, uh, the first time someone suggested it, I had no sensation of breath in my nostrils. But did they now say that I to you did they say to you, did you notice that when you breathe in it's a little cooler than when you breathe out at the tip of your nostrils? Because that's how I teach it. I think that's helpful. But I was I was a little out of my body, I think, at that point in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, unbe- it's hard to believe now, but I think I was. So that might take a little more but I appreciate in your book that you say wherever you feel your breath, it could be your belly or your chest or your mm-hmm. nostrils or your mouth, um, just taking a breath. Uh, sometimes I'll imagine uh, both of my hands over my heart. You know, these little things that are accessible that don't take time, actually, very much anyway, no. um, but maybe do benefit from, from practice. Everything benefits from practice. <laughs> being a tennis <laughs> Pretty much player, being everything. a golf player, being a meditator, everything benefits from practice. And actually, noticing what's coming up in your body when it's happening without judgment does take practice. Because we live up in our heads a lot as, as human beings. Absolutely. Uh, I spent a lot of time with Stephen and Andrea Levine. I don't know if you know their work, but absolutely, they really they really taught me to be in my body, which is where everything's happening. Actually, Mm -hmm. the rest is just a response (laughs) in a way. So, um, you know, you've just you've just illuminated some some of the many ways to do that, and um, I appreciate it a lot. It's been wonderful talking with you today. It's wonderful talking with you. I'm thrilled to have found you. <laughs> I hope you. I hope you'll keep in touch and let me know what you're up to. And if you ever come to the Bay, of course, then we can meet. Or me down in San Diego. You, when, you never know. <laughs> I wish I would have known you when my daughter was in rehab in Sausalito. We could have hung out. Absolutely. That would have been great. <laughs> so, Julie, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. And to find Julie, go to mindfulmethodsforlife.com. Next week, I'll have Tembi Locke to talk about her memoir, From Scratch, in which she shares the moving story of her marriage to a man she met in Italy, their life together, his illness and death, and how she went forward from there. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. 
Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.